Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Amps and guitars and drums and boxes of merch, long delirious drives, baby deer and magical moments in the mountains. We're going on tour. This week on Tempest, powered by Jalopnik. If you've listened to this podcast before, you may have noticed from the credits that I do the music for this series, and that's because, well, in addition to being a writer, I'm also a musician. In 2003, I moved to New York City, started a band called Goes Cube, stupid name, I know, and we gave it our all. In late 2004, we started doing small, little out-of-town shows, a long weekend here and there, until finally, in 2007, we went on our first national tour, which lasted five weeks and spanned the entire country. From there, we toured and toured and toured, and in 2014, I co-founded another band called Publicist UK, another stupid name, I know, and we signed to Relapse Records. The touring continued until in 2017, I took a break from the road so I could fully focus on writing and recording. Ten years of touring. When you tour that long, you meet a lot of bands, and when you meet a lot of bands that tour, you hear a lot of the same kinds of stories. Tour stories. Are you thinking crazy stuff? Parties? Debauchery? Nah. If a band wants to talk about that stuff, they probably haven't been on the road very long. Being a musician is hard work. Touring is hard work. It's a real job, and for a lot of bands, it's not a job that pays well, or pays at all. What touring bands talk to each other about are two things. Music, we are, after all, musicians, and vans. Doesn't matter that most musicians aren't quote-unquote car people. When you start going on the road, the van becomes a pretty integral part of your life and your career. And yet, it's rarely the thing you read much about. So, for this episode of Tempest, I wanted to step outside of the car world and instead step into the van. Come with me. It's crowded in here, I know. Doesn't smell very good. But that's life on the road. I spoke with four different musicians for this episode. Hello, hello. That's Sid Butler. He plays bass for Seth Meyers' late-night show band, the 8G Band, but he also runs prominent indie label French Kiss Records and is the bass player of the revered art indie noise band Les Savvy Fav. And then there's Gordon Cook. Um, I uh, am a musician. I play in the band called The Void. Uh, I tour uh, up and down across the United States, Canada, Mexico. I've been to Japan and Brazil. Then there's this guy. I don't know if I can introduce myself. No, I can do it. Hi, this is Aaron Beam 
from Red Fang. Uh, I currently occupy the position of singer and bass player. And last but not least, uh, this is Matt Reber from the New Bomb Turks. There's a reason I spoke with each of these guys. First, Matt Reber. His band, the New Bomb Turks, were one of the most influential bands for me growing up. I got into them my freshman year of high school, and I immediately decided I wanted to be in a punk band that sounded exactly like them. So I formed the band and copied them as best I could. Of course, that's easier said than done when you're about 14 years old and you're trying to copy a band that's completely awesome. Anyways, I mailed them tapes, and to my surprise, they actually listened to them. Yeah, yeah. No, he would. we would play your, your tape in the van and stuff, you know, sick, terrific nosebleeds. Pretty appropriate they listened to him in the van given the theme of the episode. Thanks in part to the Turks, my high school band, The Sick Terrific Nosebleeds, another stupid band name, actually did some notable stuff. Putting out a single, getting on some comps, opening for some great bands in New York, including the Turks, and recording a record for a great label that didn't end up getting released because we broke up and we went to college. That was in 1997, but like I said, I started another band in New York in 2003, and that band did some stuff too, even more stuff than The Sick Terrific Nosebleeds, if you could believe it. Though the tours were always rough. That's the game. <laughs> yeah. And it's That's how we met. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was on one of those tours in maybe 2010 or 2011 that I met Gordon, whose band was getting a lot of buzz. And as luck would have it, both Gordon and I have put out records on Relapse Records, kind of a legendary label for heavy music. Which brings me to Aaron of Red Fang. Red Fang is also on Relapse, but I've never met Aaron before this interview. Red Fang are, shall we say, a little bit more accomplished than my bands. And by a little, I mean a lot. And like Aaron, there's Sid, who's in another band who's done a lot. These guys have a lot of experience on the road. And collectively, all these guys have some really good van stories. But before we get to the van stories, let's get to the vans themselves. The Nostromo. The Savvy One. It was called the Brown Star because it was brown and it was really horrible. No, 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 no. Not the names of the van, though those are some great names. Goes Cubes was named Betsy, which means we may be the only band in history whose van had a better name than the band who drove it. I'm talking about the van as the van. More than a vehicle. So much more than a vehicle. For instance, for me, the van was also an office. The tours I went on never made any meaningful money, so I couldn't just take off work for three weeks. I had to write. A lot of my bandmates would do the same, and driving shifts would be arranged according to deadlines and phone meetings. But that's just one example. When we come back from this break, we're going to hear these musicians talk about all the different things that a van can be.
Van. It's just three simple letters. You see them on the street, you see them parked on the road, and you don't really take much notice of them. But to touring musicians, vans are everything. I already told you about how for me, in addition to being a vehicle that got me from one place to the other, a van can be an office. But vans can be even more. Here's Matt Reber talking about how a van, for a lot of bands, can actually serve as a bank. On one of our tours, like I, like I was shoving like thousands of dollars in cash up into the seats, you know, from from getting paid, you know, and just like I mean, you know. So it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like this little compact home, you know. The van, of course, can be your bedroom because you do a lot of sleeping in it, or at least you try. And even though it would seem like the last place you'd ever want to spend any more time in than you have to, the van becomes the space where you go to relax. As Aaron from Red Fang explains... Well, it definitely has that sort of apartment thing to it. And Gordon from Call of the Void agrees. You just spent 10 hours in the van driving to, you know, Albuquerque... Uh, and and then the show sucks, or, or there is no green room, or you just don't feel comfortable, that's where we always go. We go right back to there, and, and we're comfortable, and we're happy. And that's, you know, especially when it's not moving, that's when it's the best. If it's not moving, that's when you can kick your feet up and, you know, text your girlfriend or your wife. A thing that I've thought about a lot uh, early on when we were a little bit more cramped, like that thing about using your van as a green room. I remember thinking at South by Southwest, you know, it's just a nightmare. You can't even sit down anywhere and you can't really park your van anywhere close. And I started realizing just how reliant I am on that sort of like sanctuary of being able to go and just shut the doors. Yeah, and it, uh, it's it's crazy how like even when you're at the the venue, depending on how comfortable the venue is or whatever, it's like your refuge too. So like, you know, if you're not feeling it or you don't want to hear somebody yell sound check or whatever, you know, you're just, you're back in the van, in a parked van, taking a nap or or just, you know, chilling out and talking or, you know, it's like it turns into your lounge for a little bit, you know. It, it, I mean, it turns into the back. Like when we play all ages shows, I mean, it would turn into like the place where we had to drink, you know. So, and as Sid Butler explains, having a van as a lounge can be a pretty sweet situation. Uh, Pat Mahoney, who is the drummer of LC Sound System, was the drummer of Sorry Five originally, and he was really good at building and crafting and sort of hardware working stuff and he had built a generator inside the van so we could play video games and watch TV and so we had this totally cush situation. The irony is that while the van is the thing that brings you from place to place where you play the same music over and over and over and over again, it's simultaneously the thing that allows you to escape that music. You see, the thing about being a musician is that you work in genres. For Call of the Void, it's metal and hardcore. For New Bomb Turks, it's punk. For Red Fang, it's heavy rock and roll that borders on metal. Punk and metal fans tend to be a proud group of people who can be purists. But the thing about touring is that you're playing almost every night for weeks on end with bands that sound pretty similar to you. So for musicians, the van is the place to escape the genre. Gordon Cook. Okay, we've did, we did all the loud, harsh stuff. Now it's time to either sit in silence uh, or, or listen to literally anything else but aggressiveness. So there's a lot of like, 
I, I'm guilty of listening to a lot of reggae, uh, a lot of uh, mellow, like ambient techno. A lot of people just listen to general rock and roll, pop music, uh, any of the classics, you know, it, but it, it, it refreshes the brain. Otherwise, like, you know, who are you trying to prove, man? Matt Raber. Like diehard punk fans of New Bomb Turks would, would just be fucking floored. I mean, like, we listen to Prince all the time, you know, and, and actually on our, on our first tour of Europe, we had this kind of an asshole tough guy driver um, who actually pulled the van over to the side of the road and made it, you know, until... You know, there was like a stalemate over Love Sexy, you know, and I had put a Love Sexy and I'm just like, I, I'm, you know, like, like, you won't listen to Prince, you know, like, it, like, come on, dude, you know, I mean, he was he was a fucking douche. So that's whatever. Aaron Bean. Uh, there's definitely a strong current of, you know, Neil Young is is uh, and like a lot of John is super into soft rock now, but John listened to soft rock at home. But also in the van, like I prefer to usually just mostly play hip hop. That's what I'm what's mostly what I listen to in my spare time now, because it's there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in that world. Actually, one of Aaron's favorite tour stories ever involves listening to music, very different music than the music he plays in the van. They were on tour with two other metal bands. It was pretty early on. We were doing a tour with um, I think that was the one that we that was Saviors and um, Kylesa. And at one point we decided to uh uh, just do a like a member swap just for a, a couple drives. So Cyrus Comiskey of Saviors hops in the van with Red Fang. And so he sort of like took over DJing. We we're listening to a bunch of Ween stuff, which not everybody in the van is into, but he has like the right selection of it. But then he started playing NRBQ, which none of us had ever listened to at all. I know that my parents liked NRBQ, but he was so excited about it and was turning it up so loud that there was nothing that we could do, but we were just like enveloped in the sound of NRBQ. And uh, and the song is going along and um, he's like really excited about this guitar solo that's coming up and he's like prepping everybody for it. And the guitar solo starts and it's like going along whatever this guitar solo layered on top of this like whatever soft rock song and he's like man listen to that guitar solo it's like it's like sour cream on yogurt and that was it just killed all of us because it's such the perfect analogy for you know it's just totally white music that's super smooth and bland and then you just throw this other thing that's like almost exactly the same thing, you know, like what is the difference between sour cream and yogurt? It's they're almost indistinguishable, but it is still slightly different. And it's like, I just, lo I love that moment so much. And we all just, you know, that's one of those ones that stuck with me forever. And I still say it. I repeat that line at least once a month. When we come back, we explore the strange and the dangerous. It's no secret that the key to staying safe on long drives is taking breaks and staying alert. But imagine traveling for weeks or months at a time and almost every day is a long drive. 
It could be such a brutal and difficult-to-manage experience that it's top of mind for a guy like Sid Butler, who runs a label. Touring is essential, but at the same time, it can break bands, especially young bands who think that getting out on the road is going to be nothing but a party every night and playing shows for tons of people. That's not how it goes normally. It's amazing. When young bands, I always tell their booking agent to book their first tours as as close and distant as possible. Because if you play a show, if you drive from New York and there's five people, and you drive to Philly and there's five people, you still have the energy because it's an hour and a half drive. Like, oh, it's a great show. We had a great show in Philly. If you drive 10 hours and you start hallucinating and you show up in El Paso or Lubbock from the West Coast and there's five people, then you just feel, oh, this show sucked. It's demoralizing. It's, you know, why did I hallucinate to get here? Consequently, most bands come up with rules to try to stay safe. Every band has their own set of rules, but they are remarkably similar no matter what band you're talking to. And it usually involves a cap on how many hours you can do, if and when overnight drives are permitted, or if any member is allowed to drive at all. Yeah, we had, we had rules. Uh, we try not to do any overnight drives if possible. The other one that was uh, a rule we had was that we couldn't drive. No one could drive more than eight hours. So if we had a 10-hour drive, then someone would have to then take over just for own fighting someone being too grumpy, someone, something happening. But yeah, six, eight hours, someone would have to shift over. And then usually it was Harrison uh, who was the next safest driver. And very rarely did we have Seth Jabor drive, but Tim was never, it was foreboden for him to drive the car. Here's Gordon Cook from Call of the Void. Well, I luckily we have mostly, we've had a history of really good drivers. Um, one of them knew a lot of mechanic stuff. And so I learned a lot off of, you know that person. Um, generally, I think uh, uh, two two of two of our other members uh, they they have to drive for work or have driven for work. So we have you know a good history of that. But there's one member who we we've caught air before, and uh, you know the whole the whole touring thing is new to them. Um, but ever since they caught, I think like we had three or four wheels off off the ground. <laughs> and and whenever they drive, I'm always like kind of watching them. There's there's no way I can't be like slightly nervous. So again, thankfully everybody's pretty good at it. But uh, you, you do that once, and I'm never comfortable. Never. It just it's done. We're done. <laughs> and here's Matt Reber from the New Bomb Turks. I don't know if Eric drove the van ever. Maybe once because I remember it was like you know it was like you know. The celebration was like the signing of, you know, the Declaration of Independence or something, you know. Eric is their singer, by the way. You know, but he drove the van. He's not a good driver. He didn't get his license until he was 33, maybe 34. He drove with two feet, you know, like I've ridden in a car with Eric. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know, and... Uh, you know, just a lot of just, I mean, whiplash or whatever. I mean, he moved to New York City. He doesn't need a fucking car. He should not have a car. Um, but I think he might be a better driver now, but, um, 
you know, there was, there's no way, you know, like he was going to drive people just after our whatever. It's not really a, maybe it's a rock and roll generation, two years or whatever, like started to be a little bit more conscientious about drinking and driving. But I, I kind of, you know, Eric could be sober and we still wouldn't let him drive. But despite best efforts, driving in the tour van, things can very easily go into the realm of the strange and the frightening. I can remember on a long drive from Reno to Denver, I put in more hours than I should have. I was on a perfectly straight highway through Utah, and all around me I was sure we were suddenly surrounded by water, that it was coming right up to the shoulder, that if the van drifted as much as a few inches to the right, it would catch the water, and we'd flip or spin or get pulled out to the imaginary sea next to me. I knew perfectly well, of course, that it was a mirage, probably the effect of heat rising off the surface of the parched desert floor, but my fatigued mind kept nagging me. What if? What if? What if there's really water there? I'm not alone in the strange experiences, or the frightening ones. Again, Matt Reber. I mean, I I have some, like, insane, uh, you know, riding around in the van stories, you know, and they're not, you know... It's, it's, there's some dangerous shit that <laughs> happens on the road, you know? Here's Aaron Beam. And so if we have like a late night drive, I will do my darndest to not be the person who's driving it. But sometimes like in the winter, it's already dark at, you know, four or five. And those tired times, I mean, I'm sure everybody's experienced this, but for me, it's that sort of like <clears throat> hallucination about where the lines are on the road. And so sometimes it looks like, you know, those, the white stripes in the middle, it kind of looks like they're floating and they're not really even on the road. And then I noticed that like, especially if there's headlights coming towards me that I just can't tell if like, I know the road is turning and I know I'm turning with it, but I feel kind of like I'm not I feel, you sort of feel like the van is the van itself is floating and it feels like you're going straight, even though you know you're turning the wheel because you know that there's a curve in the road. And it's just this sort of like weird, yeah, like I don't know if out of body is the right term for it, but it it just doesn't feel like you're connected to the road anymore. And that has happened and I've made it through, but uh, I hate that feeling. So I try to avoid night drives and I try to avoid, uh, if that starts happening, I just pull over and I'm like, that's it. Gordon Cook. I'm also terrible at driving at night. Um, I like, I'm able to do it for a certain amount of time, maybe two hours, but then my eyes get really tired and I start to fall asleep while driving. It happens every time. I can't do it. I will drive for 10 hours during the day. No problem. Nighttime, serious problem. So we have a long day to get to this town it's a shitty college town. The rest of the band gets hammered drunk. Uh, everyone's compromised. The show's super weird, and we just want to get the fuck out of town. So the band being the way that they were, hammered drunk, we're just like, all right, we got to go to Chicago. Gordon, you got to do the drive. And in my head, I'm like, guys, I I can only do this for so long. So, like, you know, I'll drive for as long as possible, and then we got to stop. But, you know, like, that's, that's them's the brakes. So that's my plan. I fill up and hit the road. That portion of Illinois headed into Chicago, instead of just being dark roads, turned into dark roads all on construction and wavy, windy construction. It was road cones 
for three hours. It was like a Mario Kart track. Again, though, at night, so all I can really see in the middle of Illinois are just like orange road cones that are lit up and then blackness. And my eyes are getting tired and I'm starting to fall asleep and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm chewing as much gum as possible. I'm slapping my face. I'm drinking water. I'm just like, it sucks. I'm in a compromised position. And I'm hoping that like I can pull off, you know, this little truck, you know, side pull offs where you can go and, you know, sleep in your big rig. I'm just trying to find one of those. And one of those never comes. They're all on under construction. Nothing's available. So for like from one in the morning until I think 5.30 in the morning, I drove this insane video game track, trying to keep my eyes open, not crash the vehicle, run it into a ditch or hit anything else. And I can't find anywhere to pull off on the side of the road to fall asleep. It isn't until like the dawn breaks and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, it's weird to be scared and falling asleep at the same time. That was the worst drive I've ever had to be on. Aaron Beam again. We were driving back from a show that we just played in Seattle. We're driving back to Portland and I was driving because I actually was going to try to go to, no, it was a Thursday night and I was going to actually try to go back to work on Friday. And so I hadn't really had anything to drink. I'd had like one beer super early in the night and it was like two in the morning roads were totally clear and dry and this little like baby deer ran out and I just instinctually kind of like jerked the wheel to avoid hitting the deer and then pretty much immediately lost control of the van because it was, you know, overloaded and uh, top heavy. And so I started swerving and was trying to correct, but uh, it was just too out of control at that point and caught the soft shoulder and then rolled it twice. And the cops came and like hassled us a whole bunch. And I think he was trying to, you know, arrest me for some sort of reckless driving or whatever. But it was just like it was a it was a poor decision the uh you know, spur of the moment. But um, the lesson to be learned is just drive through the damn deer. Gordon. I was driving from Santa Fe to Denver after a show. Really short drive, but again, it's overnight. So I have, you know, it's my turn. So I got to do the night drive and it sucks. And I pulled over uh, and switched drivers when I thought that a bridge was a giant robotic octopus. Because it just in, it, at night with all the lights lighting it up, it looked like I was driving into a squid. And that was the kind of the mental cue of like, okay, let's let's cut the, cut the engine here and uh, take a nap. Aaron? not even necessarily that you're tired it's it's a visual thing it's like seeing that same you have to focus at kind of the same distance for way too long and uh and yeah you just start seeing these sort of illusions of things the same thing kind of happens um if there's like loose swirly snow on top of the road during the day where it starts to just mesmerize you you know and but we're all like we're old enough now that we know just take a break and just let somebody else drive if that's happening you know and Matt Reber. One time, we, I think we were coming through Minnesota or something, and and uh, it was just like total whiteout, blizzard conditions. And Bill was driving and um, swore that he saw in the middle of a highway an ice wall in the middle of the highway. There wasn't something there, but he reacted like there was, you know. And uh, and the you know the van just kind of like I mean we didn't go off the road or anything like that. It was just like. 
I mean, we just thought we were going to die for about five seconds. And, um, you know, he's like, oh man, I, there was an ice wall. I thought I saw an ice wall, you know? And, and, and so like, that was, that was probably, you know, like how, you know, when the snow plays tricks on your, you know, like it just comes down and all those like, like the patterns and you get hypnotized and shit. You should probably pull over, you know, but, uh, but no, we had to make the, the, you know, the gig that was, you know, we had like 28 hours of driving to do or whatever. After this last break, we'll hear about the unexpected moments that suddenly make one of the most unpleasant places one of the most magical. Even aside from the scary moments, of course, a tour van can be a rough place to be. Climate controls can be on the fritz, space is extremely limited, it doesn't smell very good most of the time, and this, remember, is your home for the tour. But sometimes the van, this most unpleasant place, can be the setting for some of the most beautiful moments. For some musicians like Gordon, it's about seeing some new, captivating place. Um, accidentally stumbling into some some landscapes that I never thought I would ever see or understand um, has definitely, that has come up. I never have, I'd never, growing up in Colorado, I'd never experienced a true fall. Being able to, to tour, uh, I ended up in upstate New York and all across uh, the East Coast in, in the months of fall. And I really am bl- blown away by the colors. Like that's honestly one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen was leaving uh, Montreal, uh, Quebec. Uh, And so it's just this, you know, big Montreal, huge city, and it's stressful. But then we plot the GPS to get to Portland, Maine from Montreal. And it's like a six and a half hour drive. And so, okay, you know, in my mind, it's like, cool, it's only six and a half hours. That'll be easy. But then as soon as you get outside of Montreal, just crossing all the bridges, because it's, you know, kind of an island, uh, we ended up in uh, rural Quebec. And I I can't believe that people get to live there. There were, and again, this was fall. So, you know, the bloom was super nuts. Um, Like we were leaning out of the windows of the van screaming because we'd never seen anything like that. For a guy like Aaron, it's about seeing a place he's seen a thousand times before, but seeing it in a whole new light. Um, the spot that surprises me because I grew up in Colorado and but was going to school in Oregon, so I drove through this area a bunch of times and kind of hate it as a drive. But as a passenger, I trip out pretty hard on Wyoming because Wyoming is really bleak for driving through it, but when you can just kind of relax and check out the landscape it's like pretty weird almost like moonscape it seems really bleak and desolate but it has this kind of odd serene beauty to it or it's the convergence of a few factors that creates a truly special moment um i'd seen them and i'd listened to them some but i'd never like really sat down and listened to yob before and i remember uh just laying down 
it was like driving through the desert and the you know stars were out and just laying down in the back of the in the back of the van and the carpet and just like totally tripping out super hard to yob and we just had this like real communal moment that was pretty special and uh and really felt like a you know bonding moment and for Sid it was an almost magical moment at a time when they were feeling their worst going into the new millennium um, like November December of 1999 and we were driving through the uh, Rockies in Canada and going through the mountains and it was freezing and there was no radio. It was awful. And everyone was asleep in the van except for Harrison, I believe, the drummer, of current drummer of La Sarifav. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, somewhere over the rainbow came over on the radio. And all of a sudden, we just started to get really emotional. <laughs> um after just being driving deliriously on our way to Calgary. And long story short, they played the song, and then someone was like, and that's Suzanne's favorite song of the, the you know, last hundred years, the century. And then the radio went out again. And then the sun came up and sort of beautiful Rocky Mountains. But just sort of those, those stories of being in a van and traveling and just having this, this specific, right when you're the most exhausted, the van or the moment or the thing that's getting you from point A to point B gives you such a beautiful story that you sort of carry with you the rest of your life. I'd love this particular story because I remember times in the road when things felt bleak and awful, but some song would come on and we'd all just start singing, or one of us would just get into a delirious laughing fit, and it would spread to everyone. And for a few minutes, it all of a sudden felt like we were the luckiest people in the world to be starving, exhausted, and sardined into a Honda Odyssey full of gear and merch. I told Aaron about Sid's story, and his reaction says it all. He gets it. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Ultimately, this is what the tour van is doing. It's connecting you to your bandmates and it's connecting you to other places. It is an office and it is a green room and it is a bank and it is a vehicle and it can be the worst place in the world or the best place in the world and it might turn on you and leave you stranded but even then, it's connecting you to your friends, to strangers, to new places, to new experiences, to new highs, to new lows. Matt Reber's been doing it since the early 90s, and he looks at young bands now and tells them to get out on the road. Jesus, see the country. You know. Because whether you know how to fix it or even know how to drive it, it doesn't matter. As Gordon says. Yeah, even if you're not a car guy or a car person, you, you become obsessed. You become, you become that. It's, it's, uh, when you have, to, when you, when you have to function with a vehicle for as long as we do, you can come off the boat, you can come out of your house and, and be like, oh, Corvettes are stupid or oh, I don't give a shit about BMWs. But the van is, you, you come to appreciate every single little detail about a van. And as Aaron explains, there's value in even the worst experiences. We've gotten to, we've gotten to tour in a bus like twice ever. Um, and it is crazily expensive, but it's a real, it's real, real nice to not have to drive yourself to the shows. Although you wouldn't have any more stories. You'd just be like, yeah, I live in luxury and now I'm super boring. So thank goodness to Vans for making my life interesting. And finally, as Sid tells me. So I think that there's an emotional experience about driving and being in a band on tour it became an emotion, the van became an emotional experience. I got in the car, I got in the van, and I had emotional, I knew that I was going to have an emotional experience. 
it would take me to an emotional experience, whether it was in Lawrence, Kansas, seeing an alligator house or driving to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower for the first time. It was always getting with my friends and having an emotional experience um, and how important that is to have in your life. Thank you for listening to Tempest, powered by Jalopnik. The show is produced and written by me, David Obachowski, with editorial oversight by Kristen Lee and Patrick George. Mandana Mafidi is the executive director of audio. Music by me, David Obachowski, and my projects, Distant Correspondent and Memory Bias. However, this week also featured music by my guests, bands, Red Fang, Less Savvy Fav, Call of the Void, and the New Bomb Turks. Thanks, guys. The episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. Email us, tempest at jalopnik.com. Drive safe and love your car, especially if it's a tour van. Though if it is, watch those baby deer and be safe at night. And now I leave you with the first track of Call of the Void's latest EP, AYFK, which stands for Are You Fucking Kidding Me? The song is called Get In The Van. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.